In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. That's a, that's a straightforward uh, narrative, isn't it? It's, it's, it seems like a very simple story, and yet there's some complexities in it that we'll, we'll try to examine as we get further along in the lesson, actually toward the end of it. We'll, we'll look at it a little more closely. But this, this narrative has, has uh, two principles in it. Uh, we all remember the story of the Good Samaritan. We all think that the fellow was really nicer than anybody else, nicer than the priest and the Levite. But the, but the two principles that lay the foundation for the story, number one is the word love. What does the word love mean? That's one of the principles underlying the story. And the other principle is, what does love do? Two things. The word love itself is vague enough. As a matter of fact, this the man that asked the question was the man that, first of all, asked Jesus, he was a lawyer, and he asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the, in the law? And the, and the answer was that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then that's when the lawyer asked the question, he said, who's my neighbor? Well... He didn't ask the question, what is love, like we're asking right now. What he asked was, who's my neighbor? And uh, I think that, that, that got me to thinking about this, and that is that uh, the word itself, love, is defined in many different ways in the Greek. It was often said that a young fellow in Greek could tell his sweetheart that he loved her in 23 different ways and not repeat the same word. Well... We, we don't have that complexity in our language, English language, although it's complicated, we don't have that much of a complexity. But still, the word love defined, if we try to define it, we, we still sometimes come up short with it. The Israelite had that concept of loving God with all their heart, mind, and soul for 1,400 years and still had not resolved it, still had not come up with the conclusion of what it actually meant the same with the neighbor Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul with all your might actually the text says so they, they had that concept and they, they knew what the, the, what the law was 
but they really didn't understand what it meant to love, what the word meant. For some obscure reason, they couldn't comprehend it, couldn't fathom it. So when Jesus came, He said, you shut your eyes and close your ears, you don't understand. You don't understand. The same was true with the uh, love of the neighbor. Especially was it true with this concept. Leviticus 19 verse 18 said, Don't avenge yourself. Don't, don't bear any grudge against the children of your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let's look at the uh, Bible definition of neighbor. It's, it actually means... The, the definition of it means someone who lives close by. So that's where we get our idea of neighbor, isn't it? Who's your neighbor? Well, somebody say, okay, I know the one on the right hand, the one on the left. I know the neighbor around the block and so forth. So we, we usually define the neighbor from the people that have lived close to our residence. That's who the neighbor is. Let's recognize first who the neighbor was in this narrative. Who was the neighbor? I'm going to ask you that question later when we get get to the end of the lesson. Who was the neighbor? But let's let's talk about our conception of neighbor. So let's talk about this. Uh, you see the 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 uh, illustration here. The the good Samaritan brought the man who looked, put him on the back of his donkey and carried him to an inn and took care of him. So you say, well, who was the good neighbor? You say, okay, it was the Samaritan. Well, lodge that in your mind. Just to hang on to that. Let's look. Let's look at what we generally consider to be our neighbor. All right. We consider our neighbor to be an actual stranger, someone we don't know personally, someone that we we may have just run into, or somebody that that we can't call by name on the street. So, a neighbor can be. A stranger to us, someone that that we're not really totally familiar with. Matthew chapter five verse forty six and forty seven says, "If you love them that love you, what what reward do you have? Even the publicans do the same. If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans the same?" So he's actually talking about a neighbor as being someone you don't really know. So he tells us to love someone we don't know. Someone that's a stranger, basically. Someone who could be uh, hostile to us, as a matter of fact. Well, a neighbor or a neighbor could also be a member of your family, couldn't it? They're close. They're, they're very close to us. Uh, not only sometimes we sleep in the same bed they're sleeping in. Sisters sleep in the same bed. Brothers sleep in the same bed. Husband and wife sleep in the same bed. They eat at the same table. So our family, and, and uh, we get together in family reunions, and so we, we know that a family member can be a neighbor. First Timothy chapter 5 at verse 8 tells us, If any provide not for his own, and he's talking about taking care of, just like the Samaritan now. Let's go back to the, the stranger. So, if we run across someone who has a need, like the good Samaritan came across the man who had fallen among thieves, he was apparently a total stranger. Didn't know him. But the Samaritan took care of him, didn't he? He took care of the man. 
and he made sure that he had his needs. He uh, he he had fallen among thieves, and the the text actually tells us that that the good Samaritan had compassion on him, had a feeling for it, a feeling of compassion. The family members the same way, really. Uh, if any provide not for his own, First Timothy five verse eight, and especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So. We're often called upon to help our family members. Who calls us to do this? Sometimes other family members tell us it's our obligation. So children will sometimes become estranged from their parents. And when the parents get old and feeble, unable to take care of themselves, the siblings squabble about who's going to take charge and who has the time and who will have the space in their home and so forth to take care of, manage the affairs of their, of their aged parents. And uh, I've heard of times which came, which is, it's come down to a flip of the coin. Somebody is, somebody's obligated, somebody has the burden. So for years they take care of their aged parents and the other children sometimes will manage and send them some money and so forth and so forth, uh, so forth and so on. So, but if we, if we deny the taking care of a family member, it's the same as not doing good to your neighbor, isn't it? Not loving your neighbor. You have to love your family member like you would a neighbor. So when they fall upon hard times or in difficult circumstances, it behooves the believer at least, the one who believes what the Bible says, to step forward and say, okay, I'm going to do what I can. I'm not going to deny the faith. I'm going to do what I can to take care of my family member sometimes it's a friend just a friend someone you know that needs you needs you as a friend needs you to step up and help them the good Samaritan helped this man that had fallen among thieves well obviously if our friends get into trouble and we usually reach out to a friend when we are in need when we and the need may not be financial it may not be physically this may we may need an ear to speak to. We may need a sympathizing heart. We may need someone that we can use as a sounding board. That we're having problems. And so when we talk about a neighbor, we're talking about a friend. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, and boy, here's when friendship comes into view, isn't it? He said, greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And that happens often, doesn't it? People will lay down their lives for a friend. That's like Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. So the neighbor can be a friend. A friend in need. A friend that just needs a telephone call. Well, we don't use the telephone anymore, do we? We text. friend who needs a text. We found in our relationship, Bonnie and I, that if you want to get a hold of someone, text them. Because they won't answer the phone. If, if, if it rings, they, they won't answer the phone. They don't recognize the number, but they will recognize the text. So, sometimes we just need somebody to respond in a text. Get that warm feeling that somebody cares. Somebody cares that I'm alive. Somebody cares that, that I'm thinking about them. And, and I want them to know that, that I'm thinking about them. And a neighbor can be and should be a fellow believer 
a brother or sister in Christ. You know, as a, as a community, Christians are an extended family. We are. We're said to be members of part of the family of God and the children of God. We're part of the household of God. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. And when you are, you're baptized into Christ. And that means you're baptized into His family. You're part of His body. The church belongs to Jesus. And we belong to one another as a family. We do. And so the Bible tells us that we should be, in this context at least, neighbors. Brothers and sisters in Christ should also be neighbors. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let's love one another. Well, that's what he, tell, what he told us, wasn't it? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that does not exclude the Christian, does it? That does not exclude the brother or sister in Christ. Matter of fact, it includes them. It includes them deeply. There's another text that we'll read in just a minute, but let's just read another one in 1 John 4, verse 21. He says this is a commandment. This, is, this commandment we have from Him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. So there's the two commandments, aren't there? Isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. And that's what he says here in 1 John 4, 2. This commandment we have, he, he that loves God, that's commandment number one, loves his brother also, that's commandment number two. Okay. Galatians 6.10 says we ought to do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. He's talking about family. Family. Alright. Now, the enemy. The enemy. We're to love fellow believers. We're to love our enemy. You, you probably could write a list, as I can, of people that don't like me. Maybe, maybe everybody likes you. I don't know. But if you, if everybody likes you in this world, everybody thinks you're the most wonderful person that has ever put on shoes. Then you're 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 uh, unnatural. You're different. You're you're so, you're something unusual. We have enemies. We have people that don't like us. But should we have people that we don't like? That we have enemies. That we despise that we hate, that we really, that we really, if we had an opportunity, we'd do something mean to them. Hopefully not. But there are those who probably have that animosity or animus toward us. And that's who he's talking about here. He's not talking about the people that we might struggle to like. He's talking about people who don't like us. Right? Enemy. Somebody does not like me. So he says, okay, here's what you do. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Now, we're struggling with that word love, aren't we? Because man has always struggled with that word. We've always struggled with it. We're really not sure what it, what it means. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 and 20 and 21 says, If your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. In so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. In other words, you'll really get to him if you do these things. The enemy doesn't expect that from you. It's like setting his 
pants leg on fire. You're getting his attention. He's, he's upset because you're doing things that he does not expect or she does not expect. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So we have the enemy as well. Jesus is speaking of a personal enemy. Now, I want to, I want to make sure that we get that clear. He's talking about a personal enemy. Someone who has animus against you personally. He's not talking about the enemy of all righteousness. He's not talking about the devil. He's not saying love the devil. Nor is he saying love the world that is opposed to God. He's not saying that. He's talking about your personal, individual enemy. Someone that you've run across sometime in your past or even in your present or your future you're going to run across that does not like you and would like to see harm come to you. That's who he's talking about. It gets personal. You've heard that statement sometimes. It's not personal. Well, this is personal. He's talking about something personal. He can't be talking about the devil. The devil is the adversary of the whole world. And he can't be talking about the world itself in general. That is, we need to love the honky-tonks. We need to love the political liars. We need to love the con men and con women. He's not talking about. He's not talking about that. He's not saying love all these things. Matter of fact, we're told uh, in John chapter or James chapter four verse four, he says, "You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God?" So we can't fall in love with the enemies of God, and we can't be talking about them when we're talking about love your enemy. You have to follow on this carefully. Follow on this. We're not talking about the enemies of righteousness, the enemies of purity, the enemies of decency. First John two fifteen through seventeen says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not of the Father, but it, is of the world, but it is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever. He's talking about, when he says to love your neighbor, and meaning love your enemy, he's talking about that personal individual. Again, let's keep that in mind. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. These are, these are things that are happening to you personally. Somebody's doing something to you personally. They're grieving you. Now he's saying your response has got to be to love them. They, they definitely despise you and they persecute you. Okay. So we're not actually looking at a, definite, a dictionary definition of love. We can see what it means from action. That's where we see the definition of love. How does love react? So I love my enemies. What do I do? Well, he said, okay, bless them. When they curse you, bless them. When they despise you, love them. Do good to them. That's, that's what he's saying. In James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, what we're saying is that unless your, your actions comport with the concept, it's not love. Follow me? Unless what you do is identified with what you are thinking, it does not make any sense 
It doesn't comport. It doesn't compute. Okay, James 2.14 puts the principle in in these terms. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? So now we're going to do the same thing in terms of love. Here's the principle. If you say you have something that is ethereal, unless you do something, it doesn't exist. Okay? I love you, the young man said. I love you dearly. I love you dearly. But if I'm busy Saturday night, I'm not going to come see you. You see? I love you so much, but don't ask me to do these things because it's, it's in my space. Unless you do something with your love, it is not love. Follow? It's not just an emotion that you have. It's an emotion that acts just like faith. Faith isn't just a concept. Faith is something that happens in your life. That's not hard, is it? Well, that was hard for the Israelites for some reason. They couldn't get this idea of love together with what they had to do. And so they didn't do it. What they had in mind was, if I will do these things specifically, God will reward me this way. So it was, it was um, action plus reward, right? But love is not that way, is it? Love is freely given whether there is a response or not. Wow. Uh-oh. We've got some problems here. If I'm going to love you, I want you to reciprocate. If you don't reciprocate, we're going to cut this off. You're not going to get anything out of me anymore because you don't return it. Well, let's talk about neighborly actions. This man, this good man, this good Samaritan, not only loved the fellow that had fallen among the thieves, he didn't come along and say, my, 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 you look terrible. I'm sure you hurt. Now feel so bad that you lost your clothes and your money and almost your life. Wish I could help. But I'm going to go on by. No, he didn't do that. He had compassion and he did something, didn't he? This man did something. Now, I know that he loved his neighbor. I know that because of what he did. Not what he said, not what he thought, not what he considered, but what he did. That's what it means to be a neighbor. It's a sympathetic response. Galatians 6.10 we read a while ago. As we therefore have opportunity... Now, the Lord does not tell us to go out looking for ways to spend your money on the poor. But he said, when you have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. When the opportunity arises, is there, respond. Not just think about it, not just be sympathetic about it, but do something about it when it's there. In James 1.27 it says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, 
pure religion. Visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Well, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 36, there's a judgment scene set. You remember this one, don't you? Matthew 25. Everybody appears, the goats on the one hand on the left and the sheep on the right. And the sheep are going to come into the kingdom and the goats are going to be kept out outside the kingdom. And uh, when, when the master, which is Jesus, said, come in to the kingdom, he says, I was hungry and you, you gave me meat. That's love responding. So that's actually the definition of love, isn't it? Love does something good. Does something good for the person who's hungry. I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. You know, you see that probably, you see that more in children than you do in adults. But we should see it more in adults. I keep thinking back over, for some reason this vision keeps coming to me over and over again, that in the South, when, when people were struggling with the racial problems, struggling to, to get along together, and instead of separating and tables, one of, the, one of the strongest influences for congeniality and and brotherhood was at the table, eating together, having meals together, would bring people together. Well, I think when we talk about strangers, and I started to mention this with the, with the kiddos, you see this when a, when a child comes to school, moves into a school district, has no friends, comes into the cafeteria and sits down by himself or herself a little tyke, nobody around and somebody looks and sees them, another little child that has a big heart looks and sees that little guy by himself comes and sits down next with them and eats next to them and eats what a what a effort of congeniality of and of neighborliness is eating together and being a stranger taking me in letting letting me feel welcome letting me know that you're glad that you can see me and be with me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. Okay. That's, of course, a sympathetic response. When we see a need, just like the Good Samaritan saw a need with this fellow, he stepped up. Then introducing Jesus. Boy, the world needs to know that more than anything. Our enemies need to know about Jesus. The best way to make a friend out of an enemy is to introduce them to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I was reading a book last week, and the writer of the book said something that really stunned me. He said, uh, he said it's, it's time we, we, uh, we're getting away from all those folks that believe in the Bible and getting into something larger. And I'm thinking, my goodness, we need more people that read the Bible, more people that believe the Bible, more people that believe in Jesus Christ who can tell the world that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the one that can save us. So 
a neighborly action is, is to introduce your friend, your enemy, your relative, your, even your brother and sister in Christ. Introduce them to Jesus Christ. And encourage good. That's a neighborly action, isn't it? Encourage goodness. It goes beyond just picking someone up out of the dirt, dusting them off and setting them on their feet, taking care of their needs. It goes beyond that. We, we should encourage good. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. Introduce and encourage good. Be good yourself. And introduce that which is good in the community where you live, in the neighborhood where you live. You're the light of the world. When you turn out the light in this old dark world, you turn out the only light that the world has. When you don't reflect Jesus, when you don't show Him to the world, it's lights out, friends. It's lights out. This world is struggling right now with the idea that, that the lights are going to go out, physical lights. That we're, losing, we're using up all of our natural resources, and we are. But the lights are out already in those dark places in this world where Jesus is not known. The lights are out. We, we have to turn on that light. And we have to keep that light on in our own lives. Let people see that Jesus lives in our house. Upholding the truth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. We're talking about you as a neighbor now. He said that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Stand tall. Stand up. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Don't be hesitant to let people know that you believe the truth that you believe the gospel, that you believe that you must hear about Jesus, that you must confess His name, that you must repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ by immersion, come out of the waters of baptism and stand whole and redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ and with Him in the resurrection. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain. And being a good neighbor is to warn our neighbor of danger. I saw my neighbor's house on fire one day. I walked by and said, hey, I probably ought to call this in. Ought to get on the 911 and see if I can get some help out here. Instead of rushing over and banging on the door and saying, your house is on fire, I'll do what I can, but I don't want to really get involved in this thing. We need to tell people that hell is a real place. That's a real danger. That if we don't change our ways, that's where we're going to end up banging on the door. Don't call the preacher and say, hey, I know some folks over here that you might want to talk to. Go tell them. Let them know. Hell is a real place. And it's a danger. We need to get our lives right or we're going to end up in a place that we don't want to end up in. Paul said we, we preach Him. We preach Christ. We warn every man. We teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's being a neighbor, isn't it? 
to warn people that hell is coming and to tell them that there's a good place they can live here and then after a while. Another, another neighborly action is prayers. Boy, this world needs prayer. We need to pray for our world. Pray without ceasing, we're advised. Pray without ceasing. Let, your, let yourself always be ready to pray. That's neighborly. And forgiveness obviously is. Being able to forgive those who have sinned against us. Paul said, Jesus said uh, that when we pray, we ought to forgive so that our Father can forgive us. Now, I told you that there was something in that Good Samaritan story that you probably missed. I did. What you missed was, who was the neighbor? When, the, when he was asked the question, remember the lawyer said, you should love your neighbor as yourself, and so the lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who was the neighbor? Did you get it? Who was it? Was it the guy that was hurting? Or was it the Samaritan? Who was the neighbor? Matter of fact, Jesus said it was the Samaritan that was the neighbor. Not the guy on the, in the dirt. It was the Samaritan. He was the neighbor. That's interesting, isn't it? He was the neighbor. Now, this brings me to this point. The conclusion. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 39, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know what that means? You have to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. Isn't that something? The neighbor Jesus was talking about was a Samaritan. It wasn't the guy that was in trouble. It was a Samaritan. Why? Why is he saying that? He's saying that because you do for others what you do because of who you are. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Because of who you are. Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48, we've been alluding to back and forth in this. We're not to, uh, we're, when, when someone curses us, we're to bless them. When they despise us, we're to pray for them. And he said, here's the reason why you do that. Because you are the children of your Father. Because you are, in fact, the good neighbor. You are the good neighbor. God help you be just exactly that. Let's stand and sing that song of invitation.